Welcome to the Calm Surgery Podcast Edition, hosted by Christine Townsend. Okay, I'm going to get us started right now. Um, we are waiting for people to show up, but as I say, we're going to get uh, we're going to be recording, um, or we are recording this so that we can make it available as a podcast and also as our video um, download in the community. So, welcome. Um, my name is Christine Townsend from PIO Toolkit, and I am the founder of PIO Toolkit. So, I'm really, really excited about who we have here with us today. Um, the panel is always different and always exciting always bring something new to the table so please um bring us your questions um i'm gonna sort of give a brief introduction to each of our panelists and then um we will let them take the floor with some of the questions we've already had in so um i'd like to introduce and this is no particular order because everyone's equally as wonderful um we have sarah lux she's the lead public information officer for lake lake county in florida and she has practiced PR for 10 years. Um, and I'm doing brief bios here. This is my, by no means everyone's um, life story. Um, I'll let them get to that should they wish. Um, she has been doing PR for 10 years um, and she's specifically sort of focused on community education, government affairs and crisis communications. And uh, she has been in the role now for years? Lake, Lake County? She's also, um, I hear- Yeah, I've been there for about two. A response member of, Flipioa, which I like to call it, for Florida PIO Association. We've just been talking about that. Um, then we have uh, Joe Arrington, who I actually met quite a few years ago at an NIOA conference. He's from San Antonio Fire Department, the Public Information Officer in Texas, um, just down the road from me here in Austin. Um, he's been 21 years. He doesn't look it. Um, with uh, the fire department, seven years as the uniform PIO. Um, he's also uh, FEMA Advanced PIO practitioner and he's also um on the nioa fire and ems advisory panel so um joe's got some great stories and some excellent um wisdom from his years with the uh, fire department and last by no means least we have cherry greeno uh cherry greeno is the director of corporate affairs for waterloo regional police service in canada and um she was a journalist and but then turned over to the other side whether it's the dark side or not i don't know which way is which um in 2016 she joined waterloo regional police service and uh, she's past chair of ontario's corporate communications network Vice Chair of the Canadian Strategic Communications Network, and uh, she's also the Canadian represent representative to the PIO section of the IACP, and we all love a bit of alphabet soup uh, as PIOs, and um, she, I know she's been having a few technical issues, so I'm hoping that um, we don't lose her. Oh, we've just lost her. I spoke too soon. Um, she's also, I will carry on talking about her, so hopefully she'll be able to get back in. She's also um, author of a children's book, Mismatch mismatched Martha and she's been awarded the Catherine Martin Award for Excellence in Media Relations so great panel with us today really really excited about this um now I have uh there's a question I always get asked and I want to encourage people to put questions in the chat or using the actual question uh, Q&A um, option there we will get to them um but there are some questions that do come up time and time again and I know that people have issues with certain things um and one of them is, you know, this is, I'm going to ask Joe to kind of um, come to me on this. Um, how do you operate with a single PIO and manage to be effective? I mean, I know for a fact that San Antonio Fire Department is busy and you had a particularly nasty incident um, that you talked about. We'll get to that later. But how do you manage? You're on your own. I'm assuming you're on call 24-7. I am. It's, um, it's a little kind of history or the scope of what we're talking about here. San Antonio Fire's... Uh, about 2,000 firefighters, uh, 54 stations. We average about 800 calls for service a day. In the busier, slower days there. Um, I'll preface it with saying, yes, I am on call all the time. Uh, it's kind of a, I have a list of things I have to go to, multiple alarm fires, uh, fatality incidents, or fatality fires, high profile events, things like that. Um, it's challenging, obviously, being a, a sole PIO, as many of my peers and, and friends can attest to. Um, I am fortunate I have two support personnel. The uh, one a gentleman that's a, both civilian employees, one does our marketing for us and in turn most of our social media, which helps me a ton. And then we also have a professional video and photographer that does all of our video production and stuff. So he, he fixes anything I may take with my cell phone. He makes it look nicer. So that very talented individuals in place. Um, I'm also part of the 
the um, in the city, we have a, a city communications and engagement team that I can rely on if I need help writing you know, press releases or advice or any of that. Kind of thing. But it is challenging. It's a um, it's nonstop. You know, we all know no two days are the same. But, you know, that's for sure. It, it's it's always something. It, it's you know, this morning it's been nationwide cell phone outages and, and other events that we're, we've all been dealing with. You know, everybody wants an opinion on that. So multiple interviews a day countless media requests. Fortunately, uh, open records through the city runs uh, the police department, the fire department, we have records divisions. So I just have to kind of make sure those get done, but I don't have to do the research on them. So I'm fortunate there. So while I am a, a single resource for as far as a PIO goes for the, the media side and the uh, press releases and meetings and that kind of side, I, I do have some support staff, but it is, it's taxing. It's one of those things where I have to rely on, you know, my counterparts. So I'm, I'm constantly involved in local PIO groups, you know, from the police departments and the sheriff's office and other fire departments, the FBI, the city, but we are bouncing ideas off each other constantly. So it's, that, that's the biggest thing I can tell you. Burnout is a real thing for sure. Um, you know, they, they tout that we all have vacation. I'm not really sure what that means. I guess it means I don't drive to the office that day, but you know, we still answer our phones and emails. Um, yeah, it, it's been a long seven years, but I still love it because Every day is different. It's kind of like being in a fire station. You know, no two days are the same. So I can say the same for the PIO world. That that's what keeps me going is just the the camaraderie with all the folks that, that we work with, um, the experiences, and just the added value that, that we bring. Um, I'm fortunate that I've always had a we've had recent turnover with our command staff. Our fire chief has retired, and now we're an interim. But um, the previous fire chief was a uh, was a PIO himself years ago, so he he understood the importance. So that's been great help to me and our, our current interim fire chief is, is a, a huge fan of the role so i've been fortunate in that one but yeah you know averaging 750 to 800 calls a day it, um, a lot of those the media wants to know what's going on with that you know we've had three shootings so far this morning and they all wanted information about those so they're actually texting me right now about one um so that, you know that's how it is it's it's um i'm not unique in this and i know that and i, and I I've uh, embraced that, you know, we constantly, when budget requests come in every year, I always ask for help, and it's always like, well, we'll figure out what we can do. <laughs> so yeah. I, I just understand that that's what's going to happen, and it's entertaining, we'll say that. And that's, I'm glad you touched on it, and I will come to Sarah about this as well, because I'm pretty sure you you do a lot on your own, but the burnout thing you mentioned, I mean, that is sort of one of the, the things that, you know, everyone I've spoken to who's a PIO gets burnout at some point, and I know that you know, in, in I was lucky enough in the UK that we had an on-call rotor, and I know that that's a luxury that not a lot of people have. And I mean, to be fair, even though we did have one, there wasn't really ever a night off up here. But um, Sarah, I mean, you work you work a lot on your own, don't you, as well with what you do? So I mean, I'm I'm interested in kind of practical tools as well. Like, what are there any kind of things that you use that kind of help you keep on top of things? Yeah, so up until this role, um, I was by myself. So I did photo, video, audio, social media, all of it for every agency that I worked for. Um, right now, I'm very lucky. I have two content coordinators, a videographer and a photographer. I'm still the only PIO, but I have an offer out that was accepted. So I'm really hoping that we have somebody start soon so I can avoid some of that burnout. But um, up until now, it's really been me by myself, me, myself, and I, media, social media, the whole nine yards. And what I found very early on is the way that I had to go into the, into the field was with minimal technology that was effective, right? Because I couldn't carry 20 pounds of gear just because I wanted to have good photos, right? It just didn't work. So as phones have gotten better and things of that nature, going into those settings and making sure that, you know, it's at the frame rate that I want and things of that nature has been really effective for me. Um, almost every interview that I've filmed um, as the PIO for our staff or whatever, I like to film B-roll instead of having journalists actually come on scene, especially when it's dangerous. I like to film my own B-roll and send it to them. Um, having things like laugh mics that connect to my iPhone, you know, the best iPhone that I can afford at the time, right? Um, tripods for mobile devices, things of that nature has been just invaluable. Um, one of the best things that I've ever gotten myself, one of the best presents was an iPad 
because you know we all get these big heavy government computers that we lug around all day long because we have to um, my first agency didn't allow us to have uh, agency ipads that were issued by the agency and so i went and i got my own so i could check email and stuff on the go um, without it being on my personal device and it was by far the best thing i've done um, just to give my my back <laughs> peace of mind of not having to carry around these enormous laptops, right? And then all the gear along with it. So that's been really helpful. I do feel like burnout is just a thing. I made a post about that the other day. And I know that we all kind of deal with it in different ways. Um, but you start to see it in people's faces and then you start to see it in their behavior and then you start to see it in their output. And it just slowly declines, right? Um, until everything starts to trigger it. Um, Recently, I did take a vacation and I went to the middle of the ocean where nobody could contact me because I didn't have self-service. So that's what I suggest. <laughs> oh, oh, oh wait, wait for an AT&T outage. And uh, yeah. Well, that, yeah, you could do that too. <laughs> you talk about technology and actually it is a bit of a double-edged sword because sometimes you, you can become over-reliant on it. Um, and then things like this happen. And it's like, I know that there are a lot of people who couldn't make today live because of it and they're dealing with stuff. But, um, you know, that I, I kind of want to, and this is, I guess, to everyone. Um, I'm not sure if um, Cherry's managed to get back in on here, but um, the being, being solo... PIO primarily there's also that added sort of pressure of getting recognized as it being an important role um and actually kind of putting yourself out there particularly when it comes to like command team or like the leadership team um and there are always a lot of egos always in leadership um they wouldn't be leaders otherwise um so how do you deal when you're on your own and you're probably you're reasonably new in service where you are right now how do you get in there and I'm going to come to Joe afterwards about this and then to Cherry. Um, how do you get in there just to get your seat at that table as a, as a PIO? Yeah, it's really tough. It's something I talk about all the time. Um, I'll give you a really good example. My very first, you know, I would consider it a big boy PIO job. Um, I had an event where I had to represent the mayor for the first time ever. And I remember getting up on the, on the podium. I had done it a thousand times to just read the names of the people who, um, you know, were dignitaries. And I was so excited and I got up and that first camera clicked, right? And as soon as it clicked and I realized I was representing the mayor, I just froze. Right. I didn't, I just froze. I didn't know what to do. Um, and my mind went blank for a second and I got back to it and I was able to recover, but it was the immediate realization that I'm about to represent the mayor as a, you know, fairly new, fairly unseasoned PIO. It was terrifying. Right. And I think kind of the same thing happens when you go to these tables full of leaders with different kinds of authority, many of whom when you're in your younger career, probably are much older than you in a lot of ways. Right. And I found that you know, you can only fake confidence so far. You can probably do it pretty well, but you can only fake it so far. Um, and so a lot of what I did in the beginning was a lot of listening. Um, and a lot of what I did was prefacing what I was saying with, you know, I'm always going to defer to what you're comfortable with. However, this is what I would suggest. Because what I didn't want to do is come in as a new PIO and bash the door down and say, you know, hey, listen, you need to listen to me because I'm the PIO and I say so. So it was very much just building that trust through saying, hey, what are you comfortable with? Let's come to a decision in the middle versus going in there and just really demanding authority without proving that I cared about them as people, right? And it's it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. And actually on that note, if you don't mind, I'm actually going to go to Cherry because um, you mentor, you know, younger PR professionals and um, at sort of a director level. And I think I remember this coming coming up through the ranks. You really have to, you're not necessarily just a communicator, you are a strategist and uh, you have to really kind of know who you're working with. What advice would you give to um, anyone who's kind of needing to get that seat at the table um, as a PIO? We've lost her again. Oh, no, we'll, we'll hop back to Joe on this because Joe, you, you, I imagine, have different experiences. Uh, there's a culture certainly lends itself to um particularly in public safety uh more, more male dominated um but still there's there's going to be that period of like getting your feet under the table getting um respected how do you how do you tackle that it, it never stops it's it's continual because just because you have buy-in from fire chief you may not have it from other deputy chiefs or assistant chiefs or city management or that kind of thing so 
it, it to me it never stops it's um i'm constantly asking to be read in on top of hey this needs and it's proving your value and when they at least expect it has shown it to me um briefing me on something and i said well did you think about a b and c and if this happens what about d e and f and they they a lot of times not you know it's not siloing information but it's it's critical information so they they're so focused on fixing the top you know the issue at hand that they're not looking at the public you know the perception fraud or that kind of thing so that's a it's a value-added service if you will you know and, and continually proving that i may be read in in one meeting but not the next day in something else um i forgot where i saw it but the i saw a quote on someone's desk recently and it said you're your PIO is going to be the first to be asked about something. Don't make them the last to know about it. And that's, and I've mentioned that multiple times. And I wish I could give credit where it was due, where I saw it, but I don't remember. But it was, that that rings true to me. So that is something, just because I have buy-in for one week and they bring me into a, you know, the circle of trust, if you will, to, to brief me or read me in on something, doesn't mean it's going to happen the very next time. So that's a never-ending battle. Um, I use the term battle loosely, obviously. It's a, it's a struggle that every PIO is going to go through. And and, I, and I'm sure the folks that are, you know, 20, 30, 40 years doing the job probably have it a lot easier than those of us with 10 or less. But it's, um, it's all about getting that buy-off and showing your value. Uh, you know, sometimes they need to be spoon-fed realistically. They have so many things that they're looking at that they don't want to get in the weeds. That's our job. I always tell them that I'm their insurance policy. And that's why I'm here to make sure that you, you don't expose yourself. So, you know, yeah, there's there's buy-off now. 21 years working with the individual definitely gives you some buy-off, some street cred, if you will. But um, it's a continual battle. It's something I'm, I'm always fighting. Actually, thank you, Joe. And I'm going to get to Cherry, hopefully, before we lose her this time. I, I don't know if you caught the last question I was Sorry. asking. Not at all. Um, these things happen as a as a mentor yourself to younger uh, communicators. How do you advise them to sort of negotiate and navigate that really challenging, like leadership command team environment where they're not being listened to? How and I think I've mentioned it before the dynamic of the the male communicator communicator and the female communicator, particularly in law enforcement. I mean, we know that's its whole next level challenge. Mm -hmm. But what would you advise people? Well, most of the, um, you can hear me okay? Yes. You hear me? Okay, good. Um, most of the people that um, I mentor, we bring them into the police service. Um, okay, I'm not frozen, right? Because you're a bit frozen. Um, we bring them, we, yeah, we bring them into the police service, which, I mean, I can attest to the fact that I think we're losing cherry again i joined the police service very male no oh we're, we're getting bits and pieces of you um okay <laughs> so i'm sorry i'm not in the office i'm away for work and the connection i've been on the phone with it all morning um so when we bring these mentors in basically i tell them you can't be afraid to share your ideas because that's what you're here for. It's a very intimidating place to be, um, especially as a young female in a male-dominated law enforcement um, place. And when I came in about seven years ago, probably had imposter syndrome, right? Because I'm a civilian, I'm not a sworn officer. And so you're, you always wonder, are they going to take me seriously? I was a former journalist, um, so most of them probably thought, you know, they couldn't trust me, um, thought that I would leak information. So um, once we establish my value to the police service in terms of media relations and communications, um, I could feel that trust building up. And I learned very quickly that you need to feel safe and secure in presenting your ideas because 99% of the time, it's going to be successful. And that's what you're there for. Um, but getting that seat at the table did take a long time um, to build up that trust. And I feel like now, even as a civilian in a very large police service where most of them are sworn, um, that divide isn't there like it was when I first began. So I think most of the, the kids that we bring into the police service aren't necessarily 
necessarily going to be working in policing, but I think there's no better place to learn how to be brave in presenting your ideas than um, coming to work um, in policing or emergency service or, you know, mayor's office, what have you. Um, and I love giving that experience to the younger generation. Yeah, thank you. And I think um, you're right, that that having confidence, it's kind of one of those things that's like you get it when you get it, you just can't it's just by doing little things constantly constantly and I, I think also and I don't you may agree or may disagree but, um speaking truth to power as painful as it is once you can show that you can do that they do tend to trust you more and I've had big arguments where I'm just like I'm yeah. telling you the truth and there will be 10 people have completely like oh no no that's a great idea and you're like this is an awful idea you'll lose your career over this but that's fine up to you yeah and honestly <laughs> it's it takes one time for them to be wrong and you to be right. And then they're like, oh, let's go to Nita Relations and Corporate Comms this time around. So Penny just drops. So yes, Sarah, you wanted to add yeah. something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Joe made a really good point. And obviously, Sherry, you made really great points too. But Joe, you mentioned something, which is that sometimes it regresses. And I think one of the hardest things that I had to learn when I was a really young PIO is maybe I got the trust for this thing. And then another thing happened and I kind of went back to the beginning. Right. And then another thing happened and I kind of went back to the beginning and it felt really defeating. Uh, probably my first couple of years, like I was just losing this confidence over and over again. Um, and it took me a long time to get to the point where I realized that a risk is really scary, right? Risk is scary. And communication seems really, really easy until the second it's not. And I do think, I think Chair is completely right. Eventually you will make enough right decisions and eventually you will get there where, where you'll be called in more and more often. But I think something that young PIOs need to know is that just because that trust went away for a second, just because it regressed for a second, doesn't mean you're failing, right? It means that's a very natural progression of what happens throughout your career. And I think Joe mm -hmm. hit on that spot on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, seven years here is fairly long for compared to other city department PIOs, but it's um, it's every day. You know, it's something I think the key for me, the, the secret for continuing to earn their trust has been I use a little tactic of make them think it was their idea. I use that a lot. <laughs> I learned that not the hard way, but I learned it a while. I had a, I had a boss for a while that would argue what color the sky was that day. And if I talked in circles, he got back. He's like, I told you it was blue. You're right, Chief, you did. So it's the little tricks of the trade. Everyone's different. Obviously, not everyone's boss is going to be the same way, but you're right. It's it's you know for every two step forward, one step back kind of thing, but it's, it's what they pay us for, right? Snakes and ladders of being a PIO. And also, um, you have to start all over again when there's a new leader, um, I find some in some some experience experiences so um i want to switch it up a bit now and and go back to sherry um just because just in case we lose you again um and i want to move to sort of social media um and this comes up a lot um whether you should or shouldn't around um social media uh social media comments um you decided to turn off your comments uh, in your social media accounts um why did you do this <laughs> and and how has it worked you know, it's a it's either like a love-hate relationship because I know some other police are through the United States, you know, their mouth drops at the at the thought of of doing that. And I thought it was a great idea, but some people don't. But it has um been wonderful for us. And I would do it again in a second. We made the decision about a year ago. Um and we just, we were just kind of talking about it. And, you know, a lot of people were getting upset with um, some of the comments that were being made um, online, not just about our members, but about community members. If we would put up a photo of a missing person, the comments that would come in about, you know, their looks or, you know, their past or just saying these terrible things about them. And I said, you know, we're a police service and we take an oath to serve, protect, and when you have an online presence that is included in, I think, in protecting um, citizens online as well. And if we can't do that, then we should not be providing a platform for harassment, for discrimination, for racial comments. If we can't monitor that 24 seven and take down those comments, then we're doing a disservice to the community. We're doing a disservice to our own members. People were targeting you know, our members, their family, um, and the community. And so we made the decision 
to turn off the comments and we were never called out on it. We had all the key messaging ready to go if media asked us why we were doing this. Um, and we made sure that we, we have other avenues for people to get in touch with us. Like we're not saying we can't take criticism. You can call us. We have a um, public info email that you can email us to us, uh, direct messaging, anything like that, and we'll respond to it. But we just didn't feel that allowing a platform for harassment and discrimination um, kind of went with what our goals are as a police service to you know, protect the public. Um, so we made that decision. Um, some media noticed and they, they just said, good job. Like we wish we could do the same thing. Um, and now in Canada, other police services um, are following suit and they've turned off their comments and we can still get the information out there, but we just don't provide that platform for negativity. And, and you make a really good point there. At the end of the day, it is about protecting the public and that's sometimes protecting them from themselves. And I know that, you know, in the past, when I've worked in um, police departments in the UK, we kind of opened a can of worms. But then we were also having to look at the next level of like, is this prejudicial to the case? Is there evidence coming up on here that's going to, you know, cause issues on the investigative level um, and I, I wonder is there ever going to be a point where there are certain types of content that you may open up content uh, comments for or is, it, is that it is it's like all or nothing yeah it, I, I wrote an article on it and I can send it to anybody who who wants it but um, you know I did my research and I interviewed um, professors that specialize in this and, and one of the things that they made clear is that if you turn them off you have to turn them off for everything because there's really good stories that we put out that I would love to hear the nice comments um, but we can't do that so we just made the decision to shut it off for everything um, and so far it's been it's been amazing and it must really, be I would recommend it to anybody yeah and and because that's one of my that was one of my lo most loathed things was actually reading the stuff and also then our um, contact center had to read the stuff as well and I was like no at, no we wouldn't we would actually prosecute someone if they assaulted a police officer on the street so why are we subjecting our civilians yeah. to abuse in the call center uh, and that was kind of my argument but I like I think I left before it happened and then put my own abuse up no, I'm joking but in all seriousness <laughs> is that mental health impact is an extra layer that you don't need to be dealing with so um I'm interested in that do send us that information that article because I'd love to sort of share that with the community but um I I am also interested in the fact that others have have started doing that but one question to follow on from that from me is um you know how do you then measure effective community engagement how do you know that your community community and engagement is working because obviously we did it before social so you must have other ways and and how that you know how you get to be successful in that yeah we um invested in a social um, media monitoring software company um and so we get all the analytics on our posts so we can see how many people have clicked on it how many people have shared it and even though we've, we've shut off the comments people can still repost it with a comment so they right they can requote it and then say something. So we have that. Um, you know, there's the likes and the clicks and stuff that we you know pay a company to to monitor for us. So we have all of all of those analytics. Um, but really, it's about getting the information out there um, to ensure that the public sees it. And we also like we have the direct messaging, which we still get a lot of direct messages. If people really want to make a complaint and it's a legitimate complaint, <laughs> that's what you get when your comments are on. People will just, you know, keyboard warriors will just write whatever they want to. But if it's a legitimate concern, they can email us, um, they can call us. Like nobody calls anymore, right? Nobody talks on the phone anymore. Um, there's all sorts of avenues where they can get in touch with us. And to your point about the mental health. It's our PIOs that are reading all of this stuff, right, too, that are social media people. And it affects them. I remember putting out a, a post about cyclists, and cyclists are really passionate about cycling. And I had no idea. And one, it was just a safety concern about staying to the right of the road in Canada. And my gosh, I didn't want to get out of bed for a week because the angry messages that came in um about like they said we were blaming cyclists for trying to keep them safe and I mean that it just it affects um the people who have to read it so that that was to your point that you had made that I absolutely agree with so 
I mean, if anybody's looking at trying it and you need that key messaging um, ready to go, or if you need, you know, a case to to go to your chief or your boss with it, just reach out and I can provide you all the messaging that we have on it. Oh, I'd love to share that as a as a blog post. Maybe we'll we'll certainly talk about that because and we can swap uh, notes about the time we did a campaign around ticketing cyclists in the city of London. Um, so yeah, I didn't leave the office for about two weeks and hid under under a desk. But um, so I I just got the social media side of it. I want to go to Joe. Um, and this is kind of a bit of a leap, but I'm I know and perhaps you give some people a background. We did do um a session on the um this incident that happened in San Antonio with um, a colleague who was at the medical examiner's office. Um, but if you would like to give a bit of background, because I'm interested in how the social media element played out in that, particularly in relation to the fact that it was a case around immigration. So if you could give us some background, Joe, on that on that job um, and sort of briefly summarize it and then talk, talk to that side of it, please. Right, so we were, the background is obviously the, uh, the human smuggling, migrant smuggling, horrific event in the back of a 18 wheeler that occurred on the far south side of San Antonio. And obviously kind of, I can't get real into the weeds on it because it's still obviously open court cases, but um, we were called for, for individuals that they had, a truck had been left on the side of the road. They could hear they opened it up. There were, when we got there, 49 deceased, obviously individuals in the back of the truck, um, extremely horrible conditions. You know, um, our fire chief at the time likes to say that he sees horses and cattle going up and down I-35 in better condition than these, these individuals. So it was um, <clears throat> just one of those things where it was a Monday, which is my day off. It means I don't drive to the office is all that really means. Um, but my uh, my backup, our, our uh, civilian marketing manager is the on-call PIO on Monday. So he um, he responded to the scene with the fire chief. I uh, immediately, my cell phone, email, everything you can imagine, social media, everything just started exploding. Everybody wanted information. We're talking, obviously, it starts with local media, then it goes to the state of Texas, the Austin, Alice, the Houston, the Dallas, um, through the national. Then I started getting the BBC calling, every, you know, everyone's calling, people that don't normally call for a house fire. You know? So um, questions coming in via social media. Uh, we were, it was, it was a back and forth. Obviously, now is not only it's an emergency response, for uh, the medical side, for the fire department, it's a law enforcement issue. It's a federal law enforcement issue. It's going to be the consulate's office for every country that is represented, you know, wherever these uh, these migrants were coming from. Um, it's going to be a political issue, unfortunately. So you know, all these different things that come into effect and the comments that were coming, like Sherry alluded to, were were horrific. You know, we um we were sharing social media posts. We were not creating our own, as we were we were the lead agency. Right, as, right away, obviously, for the medical side of it, for the transport of the people that were, the folks that had survived up until that point, transferring, you know, transporting via ambulance. We were the lead agency for them, but then it turns to an investigative, and we're just a support role. So it's a joint effort. Um, I mentioned earlier our city's communications and engagement uh, division. They are kind of the lead when something involves multiple city agencies, police, fire, home, you know, uh, human services, those kind of things. So it was a joint effort. Uh, we did a lot of sharing of social media posts. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things where you hope for the best of society, but you get a lot of the worst. That you know, it's not not always rays of sunshine and flowers and people saying, "Hey, you guys did a great job." And even realistically, we're very fortunate in the pictures that we get mostly positive stuff on our social media. We don't we're not susceptible to the negative that law enforcement tend to get. Um, we do get our shareable, and when we get it, it really hits home for us because people like to see us coming normally. So um, it's usually like, "Hey, good job, great things," and that a lot of it was that around this, the migrant smuggling issue. But it was um, as the time played out, there was a lot of um, families that were posting things from you know from other countries that, that were family members of these migrant people. It was a lot of um, hate and towards the the smugglers the coyotes and the you know the cartels that were involved there's a lot of hate towards that um a lot of times we have to be very careful because if it's an open court case and, and we post anything about it it's the same way if we're giving interviews you know there's only certain things i can say i can't do open interviews on you know, on cases that are still pending litigation so it, it was one of those things that like Sherry said you know the law enforcement side if i go across the hall to our police department PIO's office their hate messages specifically about this one you're asking about Christine with the smuggling there was a lot of more hate on their end and just like hearts and rainbows and wish we could have done more when we would share it so it's 
it is interesting to see the vast difference in these things and to be that to be to fly on the wall to just to kind of read the, the difference of things I'm, I'm not envious of my law enforcement counterparts on the social media um, dribble that they get a lot of times but it, it's specifically about that case it was there was it was mostly traditional media driven you know print tv that kind of thing but um there was a social media presence on it and we had to be careful as tom mentioned you know when you spoke to him you know the, the, what you can say and what you can't say because it's it's not something you ever expect to see in your career you know you never expect to open up the back of a truck and there's 60 something individuals and the vast majority of them are deceased you don't expect to see that and um so the uh you know the mental health aspect of that the counseling the critical infant stress debriefing for all of our personnel everyone that was there so that even the people that called 911 saw it i mean it's those are things you'll never forget so <laughs> things like that definitely make the social media negativity you hope it kind of makes it not that big of a deal like oh john cooper was an idiot and said something negative but it does it all adds up. So all of what you see in person and what you experience, the, the sights, the smell, the sounds, then you know, you're trying to get past that and all of a sudden somebody posts something and it just takes everything back there. So I think it, I'm very envious of being able to turn off comments. I mean, for the two for every 10,000 negatives that we get, I would love to turn those off. But, you know, obviously we're kind of handcuffed to the laws and things, but hopefully I mean, that yeah. got what you were yeah, it sounds, I mean, it's horrific. And, you know, it, what's interesting about it is that a very similar thing happened in the UK, um, but got exactly the same kind of response. It was just different nationalities. And it just is, is frightening how similar something 8,000 miles apart can be in terms of a social media response and what that does to facilitate it. I mean, do you have any... Um, you know, thank you for sharing that because I know it was really, really, it still is tough. Um, and you know, PTSD is 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 for everyone in this kind of environment. It happens, and it's something not to shy away from acknowledging that. Um, but for you personally and professionally, what were you would you say your key lessons learned around that social media side of it? Um, something like that. It's tough because you want to get the information out there, you want to share the information, but again, it's it's not a house fire. It's not a, a huge fire that we are the, the lead dog in, if you will. It's um it's a joint effort. So I, I think the key on that one is we probably needed to all sit down together, almost like a um, when we activate our emergency operations, when you have a, a physical JIC in place, that joint messaging. Um, I think that obviously we, we have learned from that and we do a lot more today. We were working on it today with the um, cell outages. Hot button topic right now with everyone that every city department that was impacted by our, our 911 center we sat down we came up with draft you know we drafted a message for for all of us have the same message on social all of us have the same questions um we could have done a better job there on that one um also you know what you had tom on well tom at the time was with bear county he's not the city of san antonio well the event occurred in the city of san antonio so bear county had no footprint on scene they weren't involved until later when it gets to the county medical examiner's office, the um, dealing with notifications, that kind of thing. So it's it's needing to have that foresight and, and looking at past experiences of saying, okay, this is going to be much bigger than just us. So it, it, that that virtual JIC that we've kind of really just always run since COVID, we ran a virtual JIC all through COVID because that impacted multiple city agencies. Um, you know, when you're talking testing and vaccines and all those kind of things. It, it involved everyone. So really having that ability to look outside, you know, the, take the blinders off and say, okay, I know what is going on with my agency, but hey, there's a lot of electeds here. There's a lot of other city agencies, county agencies, state agencies, and making sure our messages are all the same. Because I think you, you can cut it off at the past, if you will, with the if, if it's the same message coming with the same information, the same pictures, the same graphics, you're going to lessen that that likelihood of somebody like, well, did you see what fire said over here? Did you see what PD said over here? And then they they have less avenues to be visual, you know, to, to spread that. It, it's um th that one unified message needs to happen, not just on press conferences or not just on releases, but on social as well. I think it's, that's what I would take away from that specific idea. 
Great, thank you. And I think, um, I mean, multi-agency working is mind-boggling to those who just come into the profession, particularly those who are maybe in the second tier or third tier agencies that aren't necessarily used to it. And I want to come to Sarah, and then I will follow up Sherry around this, but um, Sarah, you, I mean, you've been part of EOCs and, and you kind of obviously had to learn um, from your position, not being public safety as such, it must be harder to, or feel like it's harder to be involved in, again, getting that um, seat at the table when you aren't law enforcement. I've primarily been law enforcement and I can see that that's pretty easy in the right word, but it's relatively easy to be like, yeah, well, we're the ones in charge because that is the command model. Um, and you're the, you're the first, um, tear in that so how do you it, you know it's not like you can walk into a room put on your beard and everyone's like oh it's the police that <laughs> even though they hate you but um how do you do that as like council like city yeah it's really difficult you know what I am I cover all of the county departments including fire EMS public safety support animal shelter and emergency management so most of my day is stuck doing communications for parks and trails or public works, you know, but all of a sudden you have to switch over to, you know, a crisis with fire. And I'm very lucky in that because I deploy to other places, um, I'm kind of looked at by emergency personnel as like one of them, right? Because I've either deployed with them, I've deployed with people they know, um, I've deployed locally as well as across the state through the state. Um, I've deployed through IMTs that had firefighters on them. I've deployed as a single resource. And so, you know, when you do that, I think not only do they see you as, oh, you've been battle tested, right? We trust you, you're one of us, which is nice. But I think also that experience of having to walk into somewhere who's in crisis that you don't know and day one start asking them for trust is really, really difficult. And I think it's a learning lesson that you take with you to every single agency that either you employ with or you deploy to. Right. And so um, one of the things that I did this past year was up in Hamilton County. Um, they were doing their best. It was a really bad situation, right? They got hit by a hurricane for the first time in something like 40 years. Um, they, the EOC was set up in a temporary structure. And so um, what I really wanted to do was have a really giant public meeting for resources, uh, for agriculture, for farmers. And they hadn't had a public meeting in like a long time, very, very long time. I want to say over 10 years. And they didn't think people would come. They were very much like, nobody's going to come to this. We're not going to do this. We're not going to put ourselves out there, right? Um, and 120 people came. And I remember looking at the person who ran the EOC, who was a fire chief. And I remember looking at him and saying, I'm going to do my best to take care of you. I need you to trust me. And he went, okay, right? And then we moved forward. And it was being honest about being able to say, like, I need you for 30 seconds, I'm going to do my best. I'm not doing this to set you up for failure. Um, but one of the things you hear a lot from fire agencies, police agencies, when you deploy to them is please don't set up anything we can't manage once you leave. Because they're so afraid that, you, that you're going to leave them in a bad place, right? You're going to set up all these social media accounts that they're not going to be able to monitor. They're not going to be able to keep up because you could do it, but they can't do it. They don't have the resources. And so I find that asking for that trust the first time is really difficult, especially if you've never deployed, especially if you're not, you know, a sworn officer or a firefighter or what have you. Um, but I do think that people are also human. And I think if you walk up and you say, I'm here for you, let me help you. Um, and you just start getting gritty and you don't sit there and say, I don't want to do that. That's not what I'm interested in, that they will eventually let you in. And then you can start really getting down to work. It's just the honesty of being able to say, you know, I'm here for whatever. Do you need me to move tables? Right. And I think that a lot of people are afraid to do that. I think a lot of people come in, especially on their first deployment or for the first time to the fire, uh, for the fire department and say, well, I'm the fire PIO, listen to me, let me write the social media content, let me write the press release, let me talk to the media, right? And they don't stop to go, hey, do you guys need help moving water? <laughs> right? Like, what do you guys need help with? The more time you spend in the field with them, the more they're going to trust you. Uh, the dirtier you get with them, the more they're going to trust you. Yeah, that's some really good points you've made there. 
Um, I'll add one to that, as if you ever do it in the UK, you make the tea. Um, but it is overwhelming walking into um, a command centre of any description, whether it's small, medium or large. And um, you do get a bit of deer in headlight. I remember that a couple of times for myself. But then once you get into it, the physiological effects take over and you do hopefully, instead of falling apart, become very like straight, let's get this done. But uh, so, Sherry, from your perspective, I mean, both you and I, we we were law enforcement, um, major incidents. You know, we know, I like to think I knew what I was doing, but uh, you know what you're doing. If people come in and they're new and you can, I mean, you know, when people have never done something before, what, what do you do? I mean, how do you kind of, you're super busy anyway. So how is it that you can ensure that people are okay without having to baby them? For want of a better term but still get the job done i mean is there would you advise on anything prior to these things because for me it's all about preparation um yeah when you're on the ground and you've got all these new people that have just come in and you're like well we've got all the resources but then you're like fine but that, i don't know how they're gonna behave what what would be yeah, your advice? it's it's true so we have um kind of like a a rule in our service that, you know, anybody who's going to be doing media or going in front of the camera, it has to come through us. Um, so we can either say, no, you're not trained to go um, and deal with this. You know, we're going to choose somebody else to handle it. Um, but we teach a media course um, in Canada that, you know, just for police officers. Um, and so any police service, um, they usually designate who is going to be on camera. Um, and any new people coming in, they send on this media course. So it's a week-long course um, and I'm part of teaching it. So we teach all these officers everything about media, get them on camera, teach them, you know, key messages and stuff like that so that they're ready um, to go if they have to. And usually that will involve any police officers that are going, you know, into investigative services or homicide or anything like that, that where they might have to go on camera. And unlike Sarah, I it sounds like you have like 10 jobs all in one. Um, and I just strictly deal with the police services. So like fire and paramedics have their own um, media people um, to, to do on-camera stuff. We did have um, a massive post explosion uh, a couple of years ago where it involved everybody. So police, fire, um, paramedics, everybody was on the scene um, and that's the first time I think that we all kind of came together and everybody was like, Sherry, what do we do? Um, so we all gathered together. And at that point, it wasn't a police investigation yet because we couldn't, it was early. We didn't know that, you know, this guy had blown up his house um, to, you know, commit a crime and, and kill people. So <laughs> at that time, it was, a, it was a fire investigation. So we went to fire and we set up the media scrum and and we got fire, the fire chief ready to go. And then as soon as we determined that a criminal offense had um, occurred, it then got turned over to the police. So fire wasn't allowed to speak anymore. Um, and so then we took over um, all of the media scrums from, from there on. So, but typically it's just like you would know um, with police services, you just have to pick um, the proper rank to talk to proper stories. So is this a chief story? And if the chief is involved, then my job is to prep him. And my role as a former journalist, what we do is I go in, I pretend, I go back, put my journalism hat on, and I ask him all the questions that I know he's going to get asked. And I, you know, drill him and that prepares him for what's coming, um, or if it's the deputy chiefs. Um, and kind of once we figure out the rank of who's speaking to what incident, um, then we prep them and get them ready to go. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and I just wonder if, because um, I know one thing that was really, really beneficial for us was doing the tabletop exercises as regularly as possible. And then you'd see where the cracks were. But of course, under pressure is a completely different situation. I don't think people ever take into consideration just how tired you're going to be doing a 24 hour response to something and how adrenaline can affect you as well. I think... Um, I always say, and I know I'm pretty sure everyone here will agree that the networking is so crucial. Like the fact that 
you shouldn't have to be looking up the phone number of someone who might be the media contact for a gas company or what have you when it's just blown up. Um, you know, it should be those key infrastructure, the key everything in the community of just making those contacts is just so important. Um, whether it's big, fancy, major events and, and what have you, and um, or whether it's just something small, but actually could turn turn really, really big. So um, it's a quick question for you, Sharon. This is more for my own curiosity. You follow the bronze, silver, gold model, don't you, in terms of command structures, like much like the British model? Yeah, I'm not totally familiar with that saying, but yeah, so that would be like top down or, yeah. Yeah, and we, so like our, yeah. yeah. So be like our crisis communication plan, it lists out like if it's like a moderate crisis, what level would speak to that? Um, if it's like a maximum crisis, then it obviously goes a higher level of who would who would speak to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so um, to your point of like uh, the whole the training thing and flipping and preparing, I think, um, and this is not entirely related, but it's something I have always thought was really good is just you know, even if you aren't a journalist, you think of yourself as a member of the public, what do you want to know? Um, and what would you, you ask the chief if you had them in front of them? And I think a lot of people forget that a lot of the questions that they're going to be asked are, are by journalists are only the questions they're asking on behalf of the public. So um, drilling them as if you're like, a member of the public is is so important um even if you don't have journalist experience um because i think a lot of people forget that we are also taxpayers um and i always say you know would you pay yourself for what you did today like did you give yourself like the money um and that's something that i always keep in mind like for so my tax bill used to break down the precept that was paid for policing and i'd be like was I worth it this week? <laughs> Were me and my team worth it? Like, did we do a good job to justify this preset on this tax bill? Because I don't know if I want a refund this week. Um, and I always try to think of it as I am a customer as well as a provider. Um, and it's something that, you know, people go, oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot. And, you know, they joke about when people come up to you as a police officer and say, I pay your wages. And it's like, well, so do I. Um, so yeah, it's a, uh, I think sometimes it's so easy to forget that we're, we're the public as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That kind of came from a random random thing there. Now, I want to kind of move on to something a bit lighter because this has been uh, really great. But sometimes it can be get a bit in the weeds. But Sarah, I know you just said at the beginning you, you, you're getting someone to help you. Um, and I know that a lot of people have asked um, me advice on how you actually prove that you need someone and how you then actually, well, you can prove it, but then it's getting your um, leadership to agree to fund a, the position. It's hard enough getting them to get one PIO. So how do you go about then saying, oh, can I have another one, please? How did you do that? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, so uh, the position was actually created before I got here, but has had a hard time staying filled because as we all know, this job is really difficult and people take it on and then they go, oh, this is not what I want to do. And then they leave, you know, and that's kind of the cycle of life. But in my, I'm, I just got a new content coordinator um, and I was kind of part of that process and really, um, me and my director sat down and we just did a lot of analysis. How many hours did we work on this thing last year? How many hours did it take us to put together this social media campaign? You know, what could be more efficient if we didn't do that? Um, I know one of the things that he's done in the past to get additional help is, you know, he's gone to the departments who want more promotion and said, will you cost share this with me? Will you come in and, you know, two different departments, maybe there's a PIO for, you know, a department or three, and then they go, well, we'll all just kind of chip in. And then it's only a little bit of everybody's budget. But I find that really you have to prove the value and the space that you could prove that value in is when they're asking for more, not when everybody's in crisis, not when everybody's screaming, not when, you know, everything is chaotic, but in the blue skies, when they want a fun project, right? In the blue skies, when they want that new video series, or they want that new television station, or they want to start doing more promotion on, you know, 
all of the admin stuff, that's when you come in and say, hey, wouldn't it be really cool if we could do this too? Oh, by the way, give me a new staff member, right? And it, it does help. Um, a lot of what we did too was um, just show how overworked we were. So, you know, how many hours over 40 hours a week did we average, right? And what the burnout rate of that looks like and what attrition looks like in that kind of in our, you know, industry. And it's hard, but I do think finding those numbers is what a lot of C-suite people look at. Um, if you don't already have a social media and media manager that, you know, there's lots of programs around there for various different costs, you can find something budget friendly, but that tells you, is this coverage neutral, negative, or positive? And then how much that coverage would have been if you paid for it, you're missing out because that is one of the best ways to show your value. You know, I got this publicized in 15 different, um, you know, outlets that would have been $30,000 according to this thing that aggregates that data. That's $30,000 that a value that I bought to you alone. Imagine what I could do if I had another person, right? And those numbers I find are what's most effective. Um, if you're too good at your job, which a lot of us are type A and a lot of us, you know, want to do the best we can. And a lot of us work very hard to fulfill all those needs. Um, then what ends up happening is you can do it all because you always have, right? And I think having the you know human side to be like i need help and by the way this is what we could do if you gave me help is what's going to convince them i think that's um fantastic like i've always been a big proponent of using data to win arguments and um you know proving your value and your worth um in the way that they will see it uh, the way you see it is really crucial you know i think um working working with a lot of left-brained people uh evidence-based people it's like you can't go in and cry and say i'm tired because they'll just look at you like you're radiant you have to go in there and say this is costing you this i can make you say i can help you save this and then walk away Boom. and i think realistically too it, it's going to come to that situation you know when you deploy to places you deploy to places that weren't ready that's the point of a deployment if they were ready they wouldn't need the help right uh, they wouldn't need you to come in and save the day. And those are typically the situations when outside agencies have to come in, when you need that additional help and you're paying for it, that somebody in leadership goes, wait, we didn't prepare correctly, right? And you can go, you're right, we didn't. Um, but, you know, every it, there's, no, there's no problem and there's no humiliation in asking for help. Um, but a lot of the times it has to get to the point where you're not asking, you just, you're desperate for it that's the situation that's going to trigger somebody else because they're going to realize we don't ever want to be in this situation again. Right. Um, unfortunately, that's a very painful place to be in. Unfortunately. In there. Um, I, I'm going, we've only got three minutes left. So thank you, Sarah, for that. I, and um, I could talk to you all a lot longer. I've got more questions, but uh, we, we have to go. So I'm going to ask each one of you for your parting shot of um, a thing you want to tell me about. Um, it doesn't have to be anything um, spectacular, but something you care about. So I'm going to start with Joe and hope that um, Sherry can make it back. Um, Joe, what's your one thing you want to tell us about that, that will blow people's minds? I don't know that there's anything that I can say that'll blow anyone's minds. We all see something different every day, but to me, the most important, crucial thing, if anything, if any takeaway I've ever learned is always be that forever student. Um, no two days are the same. You may get, in, get complacent and then all of a sudden it's the end of the world in, in our world. So um, build that relationship, build that network, do things like this, take the leap of faith, um, have confidence in yourself, sell your value and be a constant student. That's, that's the best advice I could give anyone. Um, it's what I live by. I have for 21 years now, I was writing them back of a ladder truck on a hazmat team and thought if I go to work today and don't learn anything it was a waste um, I'm old in the fire service now and I still think that way if I don't learn something today it, it's been a waste so that that's what I would say that's my earth shattering groundbreaking news oh, I think that's very important Joe thank you so much I really appreciate it Sherry are you with us hopefully it's like you're frozen again we'll put the link to your book for sure if you can't make it back uh Sarah let's go to you with your your pearls of wisdom yeah, I kind of Joe stole all my uh, all my thunder. No, but yeah, I mean train, right? Like there's so much training out there. A lot of it's free. There's no embarrassment in having to go to a basic training, a fundamental training. And if you feel like you're ready, train other people, give it back, right? Um that 
the training that you can give the people around you can only help you in the distance, right? So take training, learn something, train other people. Don't be afraid to do that big, scary step. Um, I do have a plug for me and my um, my colleagues in the Master PIO cohort. You guys, very quickly, if you're on LinkedIn or Facebook, are going to see a lot of links to a lot of surveys asking for input uh, for the MPIO group. Uh, we all have to do a research paper. And what I would say is, please, uh, please fill those out. My, mine's already closed, so it's a selfless plug, I swear, but please go ahead and fill those out. Um, only because that research um, is really looking into some really key topics. I know someone's doing those on AI. Somebody is doing those on how to start a JIC in a country that's never had a JIC before. She's from a country that doesn't have a JIC system, and she's figuring out how to apply the JIC to this international situation. And so your feedback could actually go to really improving the way that uh, the industry functions. And I would suggest taking the time. I'll make sure I'll share all those whenever I see them. So um, Sherry, please, but we need your last moment of wisdom um, or something you want to tell us about um, your book, for example, but anything else you'd like to share and you're on mute right now. But... Um, sure, so I, I was going to talk a bit about, you know, mental wellness and checking on your public information officers because there's no other place in like in our service and I'll just speak um, from our service that where you're involved and invested in every single part of the organization like we have different units and they're focused on their units and their work but PIOs do everything for everybody and I read this article once and it said check on your um, social media manager because they're not okay um, and I think it's important um, to recognize that and, and always check in on them but I also want to, like Christine, you made a really good point when you talked about a support network for PIOs, um, which is where I am right now. I'm away at, um, we call it a corporate communications network, and it's um, uh, representatives, media and corporate communications experts from across the whole province, and we get together twice a year. We call it group therapy, um, but we, you know, we hear from speakers um, and, and we plan for, you know, media courses and, and the year ahead. And it's such a great feeling to know that they're one phone call or one email away whenever you need them. So if there's a police service, you know, an hour away that's dealing with a crisis, um, they'll call me and, and, and say, Sherry, we need help. Can you or your PIOs um, come and, and help us with this? Or do you have messaging on this? And so I think when you touched on that, I truly think that that's one of the most important things when you become a PIO um, to, to get into place, to make sure that you have those people. It's telling me I have no internet, so I'm going to end. Oh, thank you so much. And um, we got that. That's perfect. Um, and I want to thank um, Joe, Sarah, Cherry for joining us on me. Um, I'm going to do my shameless plug for obviously the PIO Toolkit community in my book, Frontline Communicator, which is out now. Um, I am thrilled to have had, had to, this opportunity to spend an hour with you guys. Like I say, I could have spent more. Um, we will have recordings of this ready to go but um yeah we hope to uh, get this online as soon as possible and uh, thank you so much really fantastic time so uh, take care everyone and look after yourselves thanks a lot thank you thank you